Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, we'll grab a Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and in case you use one of our Pew Bibles, you can find that on page 1016. We're actually starting to make our way toward the end of this letter. I think we've got three weeks left. And uh, so I'm starting to try to plan for what's next, and you can certainly be praying for me as I do that. But as we continue this morning, and Peter continues to instruct and encourage this group of churches that he is writing to, he's going to give us some additional guidance for navigating persecution. And we are in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to pick up beginning in verse 12. Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And so last week, Peter gave us another set of instructions to guide our life as a church family together, as he, he called us to pray and to love, and to serve, and to show hospitality to one another. And, and now as we pick up again in verse 12, he comes back around to discuss how to handle the experience of persecution. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And so Peter compares our experience of persecution to a fiery trial. And that imagery d describes a, an intensely challenging, difficult situation or, or circumstance. Uh, something that is, is probably painful, whether physically or emotionally or both. And now when we experience this fiery trial of persecution, Peter says not to be surprised as if something strange were happening to us. As we acknowledged a couple of weeks ago, we, we tend to be taken off guard by suffering. Our, our natural expectation is that we should be able to avoid difficulty in life. Right, but Jesus, the apostles, and, and even the pattern of the Old Testament as a whole point us to the fact that God's people will consistently experience opposition in this life from their enemies. All right, suffering in the process of following Jesus is to be expected. And so we need to adjust our expectations accordingly and not be surprised by it. Now notice in the middle of verse 12 that Peter says that persecution serves to test us. It's a test. And the idea of a test is, is that it's something that reveals what is actually true because things may not always be what they seem to be. You may think you know a lot about math. But then you take a test, and you realize that maybe you don't know quite as much as you thought you did. Or maybe people think that you are a great athlete, and as your ability gets tested against better and better competition, that, that thought is confirmed as you continue to excel. All right, tests reveal what is really there. And in the same way, uh, a person may claim to follow Jesus, but how they respond when discipleship becomes difficult reveals the reality 
of their heart. It exposes what's really there. Right? Anyone can, can follow Jesus when everything is easy, but, but it's a different story uh, when, when the test of difficulty arrives and reveals the true state of our hearts. Right? It's easy to call yourself a Christian when there's no consequences for that, but what happens if you're in China and being affiliated with Christianity lowers your social credit score to, to the, the, the effect that you're gradually unable to function well in society? Right? It's easy to go to church when you live in a society where every respectable person goes to church. What happens if you're in a predominantly Muslim situation and there might be people waiting to ambush you on your way to church? It's easy to invite someone to come with you to Bible study when you've got freedom of religion. What happens when you're in North Korea and being found with the Bible could could sentence you and your whole family to to lifelong labor in in a prison camp? And of course, all of these things, all of these examples that our brothers and sisters face in other areas of the world really just make us look like a bunch of chumps because we struggle to be consistent with many of these things when there's absolutely no reason for us to be afraid. But we'll get to that more in just a moment. For now, we just need to recognize what Peter is saying, that among other things, persecution, opposition for following Jesus is a test. And how professing believers respond when faced with hardship reveals the genuineness of their faith. Persecution is a test that we should expect. So how should we respond uh, when when we are, are, are faced with it? Should we cave in under pressure and abandon our faith? Should we get angry and fight back? Well, No, Peter tells us how we should respond in verse 13 when he says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So when we experience opposition as a result of following Jesus and being obedient to his commandments, we should have joy. We should have joy in response to suffering. And and perhaps we should clarify that the Lord does not expect us to enjoy the process of suffering. That's not what he's saying. But we should have joy in the midst of it because we know that it's going to be worth it when Jesus comes back, which is his point at the end of verse 13. If you think about a professional athlete, those people put themselves through very rigorous uh, training and dietary uh, programs that require them to sacrifice in ways that that most normal people don't. But when they're on the field at the end of the game and and the confetti is falling down from the ceiling or, or they get to lift up the championship trophy, it makes everything that they had to do to get to that point worth it, more than worth it. And in the same way, following Jesus faithfully in this life is going to require us to sacrifice on some level. It's going to be hard at times. But when the Lord comes back in all of his glory and we see him as he truly is, all of the hardship that we have had to face is going to fade away and we will rejoice with a gladness that exceeds anything that we have experienced even on our very best day of this life. And so part of endurance is simply keeping our eyes on the prize. If you remember all the way back to our our very first sermon series through the book of Acts, we saw that the apostles were arrested after after healing a man and then preaching the gospel. And the Sanhedrin beat them and warned them to stop doing 
what they were doing. But instead, Luke records that they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Later on in chapter 16, Paul and and Silas are arrested in Philippi and they have their, their clothes torn off of them and they're beaten severely and thrown in prison. But in the very next verse, Luke tells us that around midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing to the Lord. That's what Peter is talking about here, and he's going to tell us more as we pick up again beginning in verse 14. He says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. And so as we pick up again in verse 14, Peter writes, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. I think it's it's important and helpful for us to notice that Peter includes being insulted as a legitimate form of persecution. Sometimes we get the idea that that real persecution is only when someone is is maybe facing imprisonment or or, or even martyrdom. Uh, But no, Uh, Peter uh, tells us that that persecution can take any number of forms. It can be physical or emotional, relational, uh, even economic in nature. And so we're reminded of what Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 6. When when he explained to them in verses 22 and 23, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Again, Jesus promises us that the difficulties that we endure in this life for following him will be more than repaid in in all eternity, and no hardship that we face will be overlooked by him. And then in the second half of verse 14, Peter explains why we're blessed in the midst of suffering. He says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So just as we said a couple weeks ago that that a willingness to obey Jesus and suffer the consequences is evidence of genuine repentance and faith, we see here that it is also evidence of the fact that we have been indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so in yet another way, our willingness to endure difficulty rather than disobey or disown the Lord is confirmation that he has saved us and that he has blessed us with his Holy Spirit. And then in verse 15, Peter offers some clarification. He says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. As we saw back in in chapter 2, not all suffering is created equal. If you've done something wrong, if you suffer because of murder, or theft, or or some other type of wrongdoing, you don't get any points for that, Right? If you do something wrong, then you deserve to experience punishment. And this is where I want to throw out a caveat. Uh, There have have been times where I have have encountered people who either like to post obnoxious things online or maybe who stand on street corners with picket signs and and all in the name of of speaking the truth, right? And, And as people come by and encounter these people, a lot of people just ignore them. Right, but sometimes people, people get mad at them. Sometimes they might even attack them. And they all fall back and they say, oh, Jesus said that we would be persecuted. 
And I just want to say, yeah, he did say that, but, but it could be that people aren't persecuting you quite as much as they're just responding to the fact that you're being a jerk. Right? The, the, the point here, church, is the goal is not to instigate or look for persecution. Trust me, if we're faithful to Jesus, it will find us soon enough. Right? So we don't want to bring suffering on ourselves, either through sin or through foolishness. But Peter says in verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And some of you may remember uh, in Acts chapter 11 that it was in the city of Antioch that people were first called Christians, where, where followers of Jesus were, were named Christians. And the name was not given as a compliment it was meant to be demeaning. It was, it was intended to be an insult. But the church embraced it, and it came, and came to be identified by it, and Peter expects us to do the same. You know, growing up with the last name of Hood opened up lots of different possibilities for people to say really dumb things in an effort to make fun of me, right? So, hey, Robin, you're going to shoot me with your bow and arrow? Or, or, look out, little red, here comes the big bad wolf. And of course, as a kid, you, you desperately don't want to be made fun of, and, and so it would just make me so mad that people would say those things. Right, but, but if someone came up to me today and, and tried to do the same thing, I would just roll my eyes, and I would continue on about my day thinking nothing else of it, because I just don't care. Right? I am who I am. I'm, I'm proud of my family heritage, and I'm not ashamed of my name. And in the same way, what, what Peter is, is getting at here, he says, don't be ashamed of the name of Christ. Don't shrink back from being associated with Jesus. Right? If we believe that his word is true, if we believe that he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins and, and reconciled to God for all eternity, if we have put our hope in him, then don't be ashamed of that. Don't back down from that. Glorify God by owning that name and staying true to him, no matter what the consequences may be. The writer of Hebrews tells us that, that despite all of our sins and our failures, God is not ashamed to call us his children. So how much more worthy is he of, of not uh, having children who are ashamed to have him as their father. And then Peter is going to go on and provide one last encouragement as we finish the chapter beginning in verse 17. He says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so in the, in the last section of this passage, Peter explains why we should not be ashamed for being associated with Jesus. He says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. And for the, the third time now in this letter, Peter uses that terminology of obeying or disobeying the gospel to refer to people who either believe or reject it. And he says here that it is time for judgment to begin and that it's beginning with the household of God, meaning the church, 
before it spreads out to the rest of the world. And so in some sense, God's judgment is taking place even now, although its, its form and purpose is different for believers than it is for unbelievers. And so to, to further strengthen his case, in verse 18, Peter quotes from Proverbs 11.31, which says, If the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And so we can see here that Peter is arguing from the lesser to the greater, right? If this, then how much more that? And I think there are two elements that will help us make sense of what Peter is saying. So first, we need to keep in mind that, that the word judge has a number of different meanings. Right? Certainly, it can refer to condemnation, but it can also refer to distinguishing between different kinds of things or, or even exercising and applying wisdom. And so you might say, what in your judgment, is the best course of action. And then secondly, what we translate as scarcely in verse 18 would probably be more helpfully translated as with difficulty or, or with hardship. Uh, the, the word scarcely kind of uh, gives the impression that, that we almost weren't saved, but we, we barely were kind of by the skin of our teeth. And that's, that's not what Peter uh, is saying, certainly not what he's been saying throughout the course of the letter as a whole. And so I think the judgment that Peter refers to here in terms of, of the household of God it is referring to a judgment of distinguishing, right? To borrow from Jesus' terminology in Matthew 25, as the church experiences the difficulty of persecution, there, there is a distinguishing at work. God is at work separating sheep from goats, right? True believers who persevere from false professors who fall away under pressure, and I think Peter's point is that if, if we as believers are being saved, and yet we endure such hardship through persecution, then how much worse will the judgment be for those who oppose God and who do not believe the gospel? Right? Uh, if, if trials and tribulations characterize this life for God's people, then, then how much worse uh, will it be for those who, who hate God throughout all eternity? And so once again, I think Peter intends to encourage us with the assurance that eventually God is going to make all things right. We, we may be in a position where the world makes things difficult for us and, and maybe even uh, harms us significantly, but the day is coming when God will give everyone their, their due judgment. Right? This life is not all that there is. It's not even a fraction in light of eternity. And so we can't allow what's happening in the here and now to determine whether or not we're going to stay true to Christ. And then in verse 19, Peter draws the conclusion when he says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And once again, we are reminded that our suffering in this life falls under the umbrella of God's sovereignty over all things. Sometimes uh, people struggle with this concept that we're, we're suffering according to God's will. And in their mind, God's goodness and, and our suffering are, are incompatible. That just doesn't, that doesn't go together. And so they'll say things like, you know, God didn't want this to happen. This is, this is the devil at work. This is why that's happening. Right, but the Bible consistently declares that God is sovereign over all things. As we often say, the good, the bad, and the ugly— and, and frankly, uh, that's our only hope, 
Right? But, 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 but Job corrects his wife when he, she tells him that he should just curse God and die and be done with it. And he asks her, should we not receive good from God and not receive evil? And the psalmist consistently affirms that the Lord has afflicted him. And here, Peter directs our experience of persecution to God's will. And, and again, God's sovereignty is our only hope. And what I mean by that is, is that if, if something is happening to us, that God objectively does not want to happen, then that means he's not in control of the situation, which, which then opens the door for all kinds of possibilities that, that we don't want to be true, right? But when we are confident that God is in control, then even when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, we can be confident, even if we're struggling, deep down we can know that God is at work in and through us as he accomplishes his plans for the world. And when that's the case, that we can then entrust ourselves to him, as Peter says, and say, God, I don't like this. I wish this wasn't happening. I don't understand all of this, but I know that you're in control. I know that you love me because of Jesus. And I know that in the end, everything is going to be okay because you are faithful to keep your promises. And then we are able to demonstrate our trust, Peter says, by continuing to live in obedience to him, even though we know that it might make life difficult for us. As we continue to do good, we entrust ourselves to our faithful God. And so in our passage this morning, Peter gives us more instructions for navigating the experience of persecution, whatever form that persecution might take. We have to understand that we live in a world that as a whole is in opposition to the God who created us. That the world rejects God's authority, and therefore it rejects God's design. It rejects his commands. It rejects his calls to repentance. And the issue is that if we represent him as his people, then the world is going to oppose us as well. And we have to understand the nature of the situation because I think that too often we, we try to be Christians who are also accepted, by and large, by the world. And that's simply not an option. The Bible's clear that at the end of the day, you have to choose one or the other. And if we choose to go with the Lord, then the world is going to make life difficult on some level. You know, I think about Peter's own denial of Jesus on the night he was arrested, right after Peter had, had proclaimed undying loyalty to the Lord. I think about, about Peter. For three years, Jesus has been traveling around. And yeah, he's got some haters, but on the whole, he's, he's doing miracles and he's drawing crowds and, and everybody loves Jesus on the whole. And it's just like he's on top of the world. But now, Jesus' enemies seem to be in control. And, and they have the ability to harm Jesus and anyone else who is associated with him. And so this, this servant girl, this, this nobody in, in that culture and time, walks up to Peter and says, hey, you're, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And everything comes to a screeching halt. And everybody turns and looks at Peter, and they want to know, are you with him, or are you one of us? And in that moment, Peter denies Jesus three times out of fear. You see, this, this was not what he expected. This is not how he thought things were going to go. And so when his expectation didn't match reality, he, he withered under pressure. 
Fortunately, Jesus forgave Peter and he restored him. And now it's that same Peter who encourages us as his readers to expect suffering and to prepare ourselves for it. Rather than than being taken off guard, surprised, and either despairing or trying to fight back, we should rejoice because our suffering in the name of Christ confirms the fact that we have truly believed in him, that he has given us his spirit, which in turn confirms that we have a great reward to look forward to in heaven. Friends, sooner or later, the world is going to want to know, are you with him Or are you one of us? Are you going to insist that salvation can only be found through faith in Jesus? Or or will you affirm that that all religions are basically the same, or that I'm generally a good person, so I'm good to go? Are you going to to affirm my immoral lifestyle, or or are you going to stand with God's design for the world? Are are you going to, to join us in pursuing comfort and leisure, Or are you going to prioritize the church and working for the kingdom of God? Of course, obviously, none of us know what the future holds. Uh, Certainly, the current trajectory of our culture would indicate that we are coming sooner or later to a fork in the road where we're going to have to choose and and make a choice that comes with legitimate consequences. But I really want to leave that aside for this morning. I want to ask you, even now, without any of that, Even now, does your commitment to Jesus ever put a strain on some of your relationships, whether whether it be with your your friends or family members? Have you ever been excluded from a group because nobody really wants you to be around? Do 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 you share the gospel when you find opportunities and open doors? Has anyone ever been angry at you because of what you believe? or because how your faith informs the way that you live? Church, if not, if we can't answer that 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 is true, then I think we have to ask whether it might be because we are shrinking back from being faithful to Jesus in order to avoid uncomfortable consequences. Do, Do we find ourselves ashamed of the name of Christ? If so, then Peter is giving us an opportunity to recognize that this morning, to confess and repent of that, to regroup and to move forward in faithfulness. Again, Peter's own example shows us that that Jesus will forgive and restore us and and use us in an even more powerful way going forward. So this morning, may we rejoice at the opportunity to suffer for obedience to Jesus in whatever form that may take as we entrust ourselves to our faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray together.